all you macro fabbers out there, you want some pizza? If the answer is yes, and who are we kidding? We all like pizza. Stop by the MacFab website, and that is macfab.com on Pi Day, that is March 14th or 314. Pi Day. Uh, you can take our pop quiz. There should be like a little banner that pops up. See, pop quiz. For a chance for some pizza pie. That is macfab.com on Pi Day. Welcome to the MacFab Engineering Podcast, a weekly show about all things engineering, DIY projects, manufacturing, industry news, and tool testing. We're your hosts, electrical engineers, Parker Dillman. And Stephen Craig. This is episode 319. So before we get started, Feedspot, I don't know if that's a reputable website or whatever, but has ranked this podcast, yes, this one. Number one for best 10 electrical engineering podcasts. Woo-hoo. So I want to thank everyone for listening and sharing this podcast with others. We are just getting started. I think the next goal is number one for best engineering podcast. Who's number one on that? Yeah, I Who are we toppling next? <laughs> Slowly climb the ladder one rung at a time. Yeah, one listener at a time. Um. Yeah, thanks so much, everyone, for supporting this podcast and making it as awesome as it is. It's exciting. Cheers, yeah. everyone. Cheers, everyone. Um, and then one more thing is, I don't think it's live yet as of the live stream, but should be live by the time this podcast episode comes out, is MacFab's automatic uploader and our platform supports KeyCAD 6 now. So that's good. You know, uh, okay, question, just because Mm -hmm. it's been a while since I've used the platform with KiCad. Um, I did years ago. But what what all does that mean? You have KiCad 6 support. Does that mean you can drop your KiCad files directly in? Yeah, your KiCad PCB file, you just drop that right into the platform, and it uploads and does the build materials and everything. Oh, that's rad. That's super nice. Yeah. And KiCad 6 is the most recent. The most recent one, yes. Very cool. So, so as of right now, in terms of the the MacFab platform, uh, KiCad and Eagle both have those uh, capabilities where you just drop in your files yeah. and and it just scrubs and extracts everything, right? Yeah, Correct. super. Cool. Um, and then everything else is either ODB plus plus raw Gerber's, and then DipTrace has their ASCII file. Yeah, which works. I don't know if it's updated or not, um, but um, it used to work. Probably still does if it's that version of whatever DipTrace it was. Um, the, you know, uh, what I've noticed with DipTrace is the ASCII stuff never changes. Never that's, changes. Yeah. That's always the same. So I bet you, not it bet you, still it works. still works. Yeah. And and Wait, um, you can do ODB from DipTrace. So yes. Yeah. You can, that's you actually, can do all the, all the, I guess, more labor-intensive ways, but the guaranteed ways as well. Yeah, ODB... Um, is my favorite way of uploading stuff to the platform, I should mm-hmm. say. Because it it definitely works the best, I would say, yeah. And it's a more complete package out of everything else. So, um, highly recommended. I can't wait to, like, Eagle maybe out, actually outports that. Maybe someday. Sounds like a ULP thing. Yes. <laughs> That'd be one crazy ULP. It'd be a monster ULP. <laughs> um. Okay, so our first topic today is 
Testing ratchet wrenches. Now, this is an electrical engineering podcast, as evident by our number one ranking. <laughs> as, and this is not really electrical engineering at first glance. Yeah, there's some electrical here. Yeah. So, um, how long was this? Like two months ago? I think like two months ago. I I broke a ratchet wrench. So, ratchet wrench is like, think like a, a socket, not a socket wrench, but like a regular crescent wrench. Um, but it has basically the end of it ratchets around in a circle. So you can quickly loosen or tighten a fastener in a low profile manner. Cause a socket wrench has like, you know, the socket plus like the ratchet mechanism that's thick. Um, and, uh, I broke, I had a, a Harbor Freight Pittsburgh pro, I think it's what they brand branded. Um, and I'd actually broken a couple at that point, but this one I broke a half inch, uh, which is the one I use like the most. It's a fairly beefy one. Yeah, half inch uh, ratchet, uh, uh, wrench racket. I basically um, the paw stopped working and it just like sprung apart. Did, so what? Did it just like free rotate after that? Yeah, it just freely rotates and like parts fall off of it. Um, so I was like, oh okay, I'll probably and. I, how I view it is if I break a tool or something, it's at the point where I need to just go buy the better version of that tool. Right. Uh, Cause those, those are wrenches I bought when I was like in college. So they lasted 10, 12 years at this point. Um, so I wasn't like sad that they broke cause I got my use out of them. Right. Yeah. It's just one of those uh, time to finally actually buy something nicer. And so I started looking around line. And I'm like, there's a lot of choices out there. Oh, there's yeah. a lot different brands, brand, uh, other brands have like different kinds um, and different specifications and that kind of stuff. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to buy like one of everything and figure out what set I want to buy. Cause I was going to buy a whole new set of rat- these ratchet wrenches. And so I first came up with, qualifications right because i'm like okay it has to have these features for it to be in this test a contestant yeah contestants um so it has to be a ratcheting wrench self-explanatory but it has to be in there right your your spec sheet's got to have the first qualifier is it's got to be ratchet wrench Mm -hmm. um non-reversible style which some excuse me some ratchet wrenches have a little clicker on the back and so you can reverse the direction. Uh, of right. This the is ratchet. this is flip it over to flip direction. Right? Yeah. This is you flip the ratchet o- or the wrench over to reverse it. Um, and the reason is is because for me the entire point of a ratchet wrench is its low profileness. When those little clickers that to reverse the direction actually take up extra thickness. You know, um, I, I I can't stand it when when you get a ratchet wrench and it has an angled head on it. Because it, like, defeats the entire purpose, right? Yes. So, zero-degree offset Yep. in the head. So, it's a flat uh Just a flat straight wrench. bar. Yeah. And then, we are going to... It has to come in half-inch hex. Because that's what I'm testing everything. That was the one I broke that made me start down this path. And so, I'm like, it has to be half-inch hex. Because there's a lot of brands out there found, they only make it metric. They don't mm. make any SAE... Uh, or imperial um, specifications. Basically, what and you're saying is the half inch represents the entire set. 
Yeah, entire set. Because this thing is, um, we'll get into it a little bit later, um, but when you go online and look at people testing wrenches, they're testing, like, let's say AVE, a very popular YouTube channel. He tests, like, big wrenches and stuff. Or like ratchet wrench, big ratchet wrenches and stuff. Industrial, and like, like big, yeah, because he he's into like mining equipment. And yeah, stuff. mining in in oil and gas and stuff like that. Yeah. Whereas, like most mechanics don't use stuff that big, and so like half inch hex is like kind of what I use a lot of, or like ten millimeter, right? Or uh, or in that size range. Um, so half inch hex, and then it could be twelve or six point drive. Um, I don't use a lot of 12 point stuff, so it can be 12 or six point. Yeah. In, in, in uh, did you notice that, um, do, do some brands have a choice 12 or six, or do you just kind of get 12 or six? Some brands have a choice of 12 and six. Some of, most of them are, you just get what you get. Most of them are 12. There's mm. very few that are just six only. Um, so, so far I've collected 20 ratchet wrenches that fit this mold you, you know you know uh real quick one thing I, I i noticed that's not in your qualifications um is how many poles the uh the ratchet has correct um because that's part of the tests ah okay yeah um so i've collected 20 different wrenches and they range from prices 45 dollars for a wrench to two for eight dollars so four dollars, <laughs> two for eight dollars, <laughs> two for eight dollars. <laughs> That's it. I, you know, I, I like, I like in how you started right there with the highest number first, because I was like, oh, forty five dollars. You know, the 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 most expensive one's going to be two hundred dollars. No, two for eight, two for eight dollars. Nice. Uh, Are you, wait, okay. So you bought a pack of two. Are you going to test both of those? Because that I, would be funny probably. to see if they have very different. Yeah, because that's the only one I actually have dual uh, a twin of. So yeah, yeah, yeah. We should see if they match. Yeah. Um, so technically, I have twenty one ratchet wrenches. Then <laughs> that means twenty one. Wow. Okay. Yeah, you got have a sample size here. Um, I am going to I'm going to make a blog uh, on my website that's like these are all the ones I'm li- I'll have with the model numbers now because some of them are like gear wrench. They make a seventy two. And a ninety, to uh, tooth Paul, and so mm. I had both of them. Okay, okay. So like, when I found a brand that would fit these specifications, I got everything they would fit those specifications from that brand. Like, I think I have like two Matcos, and they're, they're like almost identical. I think is it Matco or is it Kim or one of them is like the only difference is the color. But I did get. I did get it because it met the specification. <laughs> you know what would be really funny is if there's like a significant difference between colors. <laughs> um, it's chrome or black. Oh, well. <laughs> Honestly, the black wrench looks really cool. Yeah. Um, is it black is, anodized it, or something? It's, well, uh, I guess it wouldn't be anodizing. I don't know yet because I haven't actually really opened up the packages. Because one of the things I'm testing is also like the packaging that came in. Just as oh, a goofy. You're going all the way thing. here. Anyways, I got 20 of them now. Cool. Um, or 21 if we count the twin. So I'm going to make a list, uh, hopefully before this podcast comes out, so people can go look at the list and then maybe suggest ones I've missed that hit those qualifications. Man, we all need to, like, you need to release the list 
and then we place bets on the winner. Who's going to yes. be the best? That'll be yeah. fun. Um, so what are we – the things I want to test, um, the thickness of the wrench. So like how how low profile is the wrench? Because that's, that's the most important thing with these ratcheting wrenches for me is how like, you know, thin of a spot does it fit? Because even though I work on Jeeps, there's sometimes you got to get a wrench in that you just can't get a wrench in like a normal wrench. Like right. sometimes you have to use a clawfoot style or whatever. The worst is like clawfoot with like a weeble wobble extension and like three oh, of those. Yeah, game and over. And then you're like, yeah, th- those are a lot of fun. Um, but um, the whole point is compact uh, wrenches. Um, so another thing is, how does the tool feel to use? Mm. So I'm going to actually like use like try turning some bolts with them. Um, they're probably not on a car. I'll probably just tighten up some bolts on like a in the vice and like just see like how well does the mechanism move? Like, is it smooth? Um, do all the teeth feel the same? Yeah, there's all there's yeah exactly. Or like one of the big things I um is some brands of wrenches have like sharp edges from the stamping, and it's not like sharp where it's going to cut you, but it's like they they press on a on the surface area that hits your hand is smaller mm. and so it will push into your hand on a sharper edge whereas like i have some really old craftsmen that are that have like a more rounded edge on them and so they don't they don't hurt your hand when you really push into them um so that's that's part of that as well like how and when you really have to reef on a on a on a bolt, how much does it hurt your hand? Right? Yeah. Um, and then the other thing is max torque to either failure or cam out. Uh, that's the big test. Cause it's basically when will these fail? Mm-hmm. Um, another thing in there, I guess we need to put in before is like how many degrees of arc, the more teeth it has, the less degrees you need to swing it before Catch. it clicks over. Right. Yeah. Catches. Um, and that can be, con- that's really convenient when you have that's super very tight convenient. areas, very tight areas. Yeah. yeah. Um, so any other tests that people can think of, we can add in here. Um, I don't really want to do like, I, I, I've been watching a lot of like people testing wrenches and stuff on YouTube to get ideas of tests. And, um, I think just doing a max torque to either failure or cam out, either or, basically. It's going to be, that's what I'm looking for. Like, how much can you force can this wrench take until it just fails? Um, you, you know, one number that's coming to mind that I think could be fun is, okay, so this is a number that uh, I guess would create, would, would dictate its usefulness, not necessarily just based on how much force it can apply. Because a max max torque doesn't necessarily mean like if something has less max torque uh, in terms of like breaks sooner, that doesn't necessarily mean it's bad. That just means that it failed sooner. Because like most of the time, you're not going to take these things to that no, level, right? No, so that's, so that's... I, how about how about this a ratio of its thickness to its max torque. And and yeah. that gives you that gives you like a maybe something that is thin 
which is really useful, but breaks earlier, you can you can create like a uh, like a, a grade a ratio, or a scale yeah. based on that, you know? Um a thickness basically a thickness to torque. Mhm. Mm uh ratio and see if that actually even like plots out correctly. Yeah, see if that see if that shows anything interesting because it might be like, yeah, this thing breaks earlier but it's thin so it gets a better rating. Yeah. I'm writing that down. Yeah, that data might just show garbage. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, it's, just, it's probably actually just going to look like a scatter plot. But <laughs> May, yeah, yeah, yeah. But but, show it, something. but you know, depending on your needs, it might tell you something better. Yeah, yeah. Um. All, or and also the method of failure. You know, it could be it fails by cam out versus you know breaking the paw basically. Because I don't think we're going to be breaking like the housing that around the the mechanism, the ratcheting mechanism. We're probably just going to either break the paw, strip the teeth out, or it's going to cam out. And so, so I've actually got so to test all this stuff. The first thing I needed to figure out is like how much torque am I going to need to apply to these to actually break them? Yeah, you need um, a system capable of at least that much. Yeah, so I got another Harbor Freight one at my drawer that actually still worked around the same. I think I got like the 13 millimeter, which is the metric version of half inch, basically. <laughs> half inch <Right>? plus. <laughs> yeah, half inch plus. <laughs> it's, so, it's, it's more half inch bolts that are a little rusted. <laughs> um, and I put it in my vise. So I, I, I stabilized it. And then I took... Um, well, before this, I actually took a half-inch he hex head um, grade 8 bolt, which is like 5 sixteenths 18. So 5 sixteenths th uh, major diameter 18 thread uh, threads per uh, inch. And I, tore, I tightened it up, and then I put the wrench on it and then tried to tighten it more and see if I can get the wrench to fail. I was able to, by hand, I was putting almost all my body weight into it, but I was able to actually shear the grade eight bolts. Oh, and then wow. I looked it up and those bolts are supposed to be torqued to about 30 foot pounds. I think it's like 28 foot pounds is like before you start to go into yield. So I was like, I probably put those, that bolt immediately into yield. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say, because you know, let's just say that, that, that wrench is, let's just pretend it's a foot long and you put one Parker foot, on it yeah and, uh, 230 like, yeah. foot pounds at that point <laughs> yeah like oops yeah so i immediately uh uh sheared the bolt and i'm like okay so we gotta figure out a different way to actually load these and this is, this is the thing i think what happens is over time the paul wears and then it takes less force to break it i think that's what happens it's, that's gonna be really hard to test but I think just going for a max is going to be good enough, I would say. Um, well, and everything's new, what you're going off of anyway. Yeah, everything's new. I, I, can't, I can't wear it 10 years by using it, right? I guess you could just hook it up to a motor and get, run it in oh, reverse and, and, and just, brrr, just nonstop. Yeah, I guess you could, but we're not doing that. That's, <laughs> that would be awful. Um, and so then I'm like, okay. I can't make this fail by a bolt that it's supposed to tighten technically, right? 
And so I'm like, okay, how much force, how much torque do I need to apply to this to make it break? And so I, I, that's when I put it in my vise. And I took a half-inch Allen socket, basically, and put it into my torque wrench. I put it, first, I put it in my 3-8 torque wrench, which maxes out to 100. So I put the clicker to 100, put it in, and I got it to click before the wrench failed. And I'm like, okay, it clearly is more than 100. And then I got my half-inch torque wrench, which goes up to 250 foot-pounds, and I got the shear. Uh, I got the, uh, the, I basically got it to, uh, uh, basically it, it ripped the paw out of the teeth. Hmm. Um, and so how it failed though, was interesting is it actually tilted the whole mechanism out, which disengaged the paw basically, because now it doesn't have that. So, and actually now that wrench is like frozen. It doesn't like, you can't even turn it anymore. Um, and so that's actually an interesting thing is one thing we should put in the test is how much degrees of deflection does the mechanism have? Uh, so what do you mean by, so when, when you have a, let's say you're able to like, so the mechanism that rotates inside Mm -hmm. the housing can wiggle until it catches a plane. Right. Well, no, it can wiggle on the same plane as the wrench itself. Oh, I see what you're getting at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that that's how my uh, other one failed is like because you're turning it and you're never going to be turning it perfectly on axis. Right, right, right. And then you turn it on slight axis and you put a little too much force and kind of just pops out. So just maybe being able to measure how much play is in there. Maybe the more expensive ratchets have less play. Maybe ideas. Mm, yeah. Okay. So if you have it, um, if you have it engaged with the head of whatever bolt you're talking about, and then a way to measure its angle of deflection, yeah, uh, past that, that would be that would be a nice thing to know. Um, because I guess I, the the thing is like, is having a lower angle necessarily a better thing? I'm not sure. I don't know either. But it'd be fun to, ch- to actually measure that and see if it results in less, basically, brake torque. Yeah, yeah. Like, it would be cool to correlate. Like, do the ones that have higher angles fail sooner? Yeah, fail sooner. Um, so how are we going to be able to apply between 100 to 250 foot-pounds to these wrenches? So clearly, to be able to... So we have, first have to apply the force like to it. Because using a... 5/16th 18th bolt with a half inch head even in grade 8 doesn't work at all like cuz you just shear it um so i started looking at basically like how to actually put that much force into it and clearly though a 3/8 inch drive uh half inch allen socket is able to do it with no problem so you can then you can buy those off the shelf which is great. Now we have a part that we can apply the torque to the wrench that's replaceable, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I was actually thinking about using is so now though is we have to be able to couple that force to something else. Well, it's got on the back of it, it's got a square drive, and so I was like, okay, what can I buy that's a s- square drive? Right? You can get square drive uh, uh, bolts. So I'm like, okay, we'll get a bolt that's just a bigger thread that can handle the torque. 
And basically, we have to go over like, it has to be bigger than half inch with 13, t uh, like half inch 13 has to be bigger than that. Like mm. that's half inch 13 is like, like 200 some odd foot pounds. I think it's like 230 when I looked it up, which is probably barely enough. I like to go bigger so at least I don't have to worry about the, the thing I'm measuring it going to yield, right? <laughs> <laughs> it will defeat the whole purpose. Yeah, it defeats the purpose. Um, so I'm like, okay, there's two different paths we can take with this. We can take a three-quarter inch bolt and machine the head to a hex the right size, yeah. which wouldn't be that hard to do. Okay. Um, or we take the half inch Allen socket onto a three quarter drive and then put that onto a three quarter drive square bolts. I think that's the way I'm going to go. Cause that's like parts. I don't have the custom machine. I can just like get them from McMaster. Um, now the half inch socket, the three quarter inch drive is like, it's like a $50 socket though. Well, uh, hang on. Is it, perhaps is there a simpler way of doing? Oh, uh, well, I guess what we haven't discussed yet is: um, is the force being applied to the ratchet, or is the force being applied rotationally to something so in the, the ratchet force? Itself? Well, I'm going to be moving the ratchet, the ratchet, the okay. wrench. I'm going to be moving the wrench, and that's going to be applying a uh, a force on the bolt or the screw mechanism basically because basically what i'm gonna what i'm gonna end up measuring is the clamping force well then so i'm gonna have two plates yeah. with basically load cells in between them and then a screw in between them that clamp it all together so the torque you apply results into a, a clamping force between these two plates and that's what we're going to measure got you got you um could you not <clears throat> could you not just buy some sort of hex and then just weld it to a plate uh, and then just crank on that. So how do you, so you'd have to measure the force that you're applying to the wrench at that point. Right. And the problem with doing that is it depends on the angle. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas if we measure the clamping force, we take out basically the, the force vector. Yeah. I see what you're getting at. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought about doing like a hydraulic puck, um, and then measuring like the pressure off that using like a pressure transducer might still do that, but I kind of like the load cell idea too. Um, because I can use like four load cells and then they're already like threaded and bossed correctly. And I can just like bolt them to like a plate. Right. And it right. just like everything will line up. Yeah. It seems like, and then I don't have to worry about welding something is an easier way to guarantee that you get the torque, but it's harder to measure the torque. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And then we'll just use like a really, uh, what I was going to use is whatever the screw drive is, is I'm going to use Teflon um, anti-seize. Mm -hmm. And so that no, nothing's lost into the screw drive or minimal loss. And basically clean it every, between each test and then reapply it and put it back in, which should get any vari variations out of the test or most of them. Um, but yeah, the big thing is, I think I'm going to go with the half-inch Allen socket with a three-quarter-inch square drive on the back. And then that goes into a a, a three-quarter-inch square drive bolt, which is going to be like three-quarter 11, I think is what it is, threads. 
something like that. Beefy. And then that's going to be, I think that's like something like 400 or 500 foot pounds or something like that. Something stupid number, um, which is going to be plenty to, uh, and then on basically on the back plate, Stephen, is where I would weld a nut to the back part of the contraption. The <laughs> Fix squeezer. <you>. Squeezer. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, I don't suspect. I don't. I'm not going to suspect any like super crazy catastrophic fails, like the head exploding or whatever. Um, but if it does, it'll probably explode and move like an eighth of an inch, right? It's yeah, not going yeah. to like explode all over and, and throw something. Yeah, it would be nice to automate the part where applying the force. It'd be nice to automate it. Um, I don't know how yet. I want to do that because it would be nice to do that though. Like, cause it needs to be able to apply 200 foot pounds to that wrench. So 400 pounds cause that wrench is roughly six inches long. So 400 pounds to the end of it. Um, yeah, I don't know exactly how to do that. Cause I, I don't want it to be a lot. The, some of the problems I find is, um, watching a lot of the torque tests is, uh, on, online is, they use like a pneumatic powered hydraulic system. A pusher. Yeah. And pushes it or pulls it or whatever, which is fine because it works great. Because um, you can just you hold the pneumatic down and then it goes click, 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 click as, as the hydraulic pressure goes up. Um, the problem is the clicks. It's kind of a discrete addition of hydraulic pressure. And I'd like to be more a smoother curve, um, which is like one thing is like putting like a big lever on it and just pulling on it is actually kind of smooth compared to that. Hmm. Um, so, but I don't know a way to like apply that kind of a torque evenly. Mm. It doesn't have to be super repeatable. I just want it to be smooth at, at application of it. Right. Right. So, I guess what's what's coming to mind is some kind of contraption that um, translates rotational into like a pressure. So like a screw that that has something that pushes on it, and you just rotate the screw, and it continually applies pressure to the end of the. Yeah, pressure. I wonder if if you could have a basically a a, a uh, almost like a linear actuator because those mm -hmm. are screw driven too. Um, but Something like, with like a worm gear that has a crazy ratio in it and just keeps crazy pushing. Reduction. Yeah, Pull yeah. Pulling. And so, like, because you don't need to go fast with this. You no. just want it to be smooth. Yeah, I want it to be smooth so that I can. Because uh, what I'm what I'm basically going to be looking for is I'm going to is the impulse of when the torque fails on the ratchet. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You uh, are you going to try to plot this? Yeah, I'm going to plot them. Okay. Cool. Cool. Yeah. yeah, something. Uh, I, I, and whenever there's like, whenever it's um, when you're looking for smooth like that, I'm thinking electrical to apply the force yeah. in a mechanical. If if I had a hydraulic pump, electric hydraulic pump, I would definitely do hydraulic. Yeah. But I don't have that, right. and I did look them up, and they're pretty pricey. <laughs> Whereas, <laughs> like, oh, you can do a hand pump, but then you get back to more discrete additions whenever you stop. Yep. You have a discrete step there. Um, yeah, the the whole motion of whatever pressure arm you're pressing, that is yeah. fairly smooth. Yes. 
Yeah. Because that part's smooth. It's just when you release to do another pump, you actually have bleed down too there. Right. So it'll be, it'll, it'll step. It'll spike. Well, yeah. you'll see stair stepping. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like to not to have that. So I got, uh, so there's two things I need to figure out is can I get a linear actuator style system <laughs> that to can push that hard <laughs> to push or pull about 400 pounds, 500, let's do 500 pounds, 500 pounds. Because if you think about the lever arm, uh, it's only roughly six inches long because they're different lengths. And that's also the thing is I'm probably going to have it hook into like the end of the other, like rat, other end of the ratchet. So the great thing about measuring the clamping force is we don't have to care about where this force is being applied to the wrench as long as it's into the wrench. Yeah, I mean, uh, you want it to be 90 as possible to it, but that's, yeah, but not, that's not so going to be the hard most effective, to get. This, but you, we are not measuring based off that, so that's why we don't have to worry about it. Well, that's just the thing. As soon as the tooth catches, as long as you're relatively close to 90, you're yeah. going to be the most efficient in terms of applying your force. Yeah, applying the torque. Yeah. Um, and then for the clamping load, I need to calculate the clamping load that's basically going to be between these two plates at like basically go at 250 foot pounds. If I torque this big three quarter inch bolt to 250 foot pounds, how much the clamping load is going to be. And I did some napkin math and it's stupid how much clamping force is in there. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, I got to figure out some load cells that are going to handle that. Yeah. And I'm probably gonna go with four load cells. And then uh, I'm going to build a little circuit board that will handle the ADC front end of those. And then, it's probably going to be an Arduino shield. I'll make this plug into an Arduino and yeah, quick and easy. I right? spit serial onto my computer to record it. Yeah, and yeah, then yeah. we need some high speed footage of it. Mm, do you have a high speed camera? I can get one. Yeah, I'm not worried about it. So, well, I, I mean, I, the, the, uh, honestly, from a safety perspective, you hope that the high speed camera footage is boring. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, like if you could get yourself like a three quarter inch uh, chunk of plexiglass or something like that that you could put around. Oh, I'm just gonna wear my my safety glasses and <laughs> maybe a face shield. My, I I thought it was gonna be like that, but even the cheap wrench, like cheap Harbor Freight wrench, I tested to even get close to these whatever numbers I needed. You know, between hundred and two fifty foot pounds, like it didn't explode or anything now it could explode which is why i'm gonna wear safety glasses and stuff um but it's also like i'm not gonna be like my face is not gonna be right on it either oh no you're gonna be you're gonna be a distance away from yeah this which is also why i want to be able to apply the force smoothly and away from me right well, I guess one of the other failure modes and this would be an extreme failure mode is if you're if let, let's say you have uh, like you mentioned, whatever linear actuator or whatever you're pressing on the other end of the oh, and that the snaps. If one of those teeth on the other end of the ratchet breaks, those could launch, right? Yeah, but you're right. that would mean the casting of the casting of the failed would yeah. would fail, and that's probably not going to happen. Not good either. Yeah. Well, um, it's not I was good, also going to yeah. measure one thing. I forgot to mention the measuring is I'm going to measure the um, the actual like teeth the teeth. Not teeth, teeth. Uh, hex point to hex point, maybe mm-hmm. in the in the ratchet mechanism, and just see what the number is. 
Because, like, technically, the closer to half inch it can be, the technically the better it is, right? The, less sloppy. Yeah, the better it is. I mean, uh, but at the same time, uh, so, so there's a balance between like how easily it like goes on to the head of the bolt uh, versus how effective it is. Yes. Because, I mean, some slop is necessary, right? But too much yes. slop is, well, is terrible. Think about if you had a press fit socket. Yeah, right. You'd be hammering it on. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you'd have to hammer it off. Right. You know, actually, um, okay, if you measured the span of the of the teeth, get an average of that. What, what I'd like to know, just from a design perspective, what do most people think the fat should be? Yeah, uh, like what? I, I, all if I 20... were to design a ratchet, is it ten yeah. thousandths? Is it thirty thousandths? I don't know. Like, how much is a good gut feel for that? Maybe yeah, we yeah. find out that all of them are within like five thousandths of each other. Yeah, I they're mean, actually within like machining tolerance. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Maybe maybe we find that out, and it's like, oh well, that's a good number. Oh, to and use I bet you, I bet you, uh, there is a tolerance for it, and we should see if they're actually within that tolerance. I mean, is there though? Like yeah yeah there's a there's a specification for, for it the specification for hex heads yeah well bolts can for, be for, can no, whatever no, for hex spec, heads though. but for the ratchet is there a standard no 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 so you could take the tolerance add it and see like how close are things to that tolerance like that number right but what I'm saying is the designer of the ratchet they have to take the the tolerance of the the socket head or the the hex head and yeah. then add something to it I'm asking what did they add yeah to what it? did they add I don't know. Um, I did see that, some honestly that right there is the hardest part about engineering is like some people just know what they add. Yeah, to what it. what it should be. I don't know that number. <laughs> I wonder. I wonder if some of these really cheap ones I have are actually like thirteen millimeter ones. Those those got half, a half inch stamp on them. Yeah. So because it's only what half a millimeter more. So what what is half an inch in in Metric is it twelve point seven or something like five four? No, right? it's not twelve point five four. I don't think so, right? Yeah, it's close to that. Uh, twelve point seven. Yeah, twelve point seven. Like I said, yeah. So that's that's a little over. It's point what, 10, three millimeters away from thirteen. <laughs> this this is us freedom units uh, guys trying to yeah. play metric games. Um, and actually was, so I'll put all the brands and all the model numbers and I'll put the prices and actually where I bought them from. And I was, I was really disappointed that, um, there's not a lot of Japanese manufacturers in it. Cause most Japanese manufacturers make them only in metric and they have to be half in text. So, I mean, go figure. Yeah. But you know, I was like, I really wanted to try it's same thing with German brands. I only found like two German brands that actually made half-inch hex head ratchets um, that fit all those specifications or qualifications, I should say. Um, but it was kind of disappointing, I guess. Um, I, I'm going to add one little um, uh, wrinkle to your plan here. Okay. If uh, if you have the time, let's let's just put it this way: if you take these and you get you get failures on all of them. Maybe take the best one and the worst one, break them apart, and then under a magnification, look at the the broken steel 
and see if you can see any difference between oh, yeah, the best yeah. and the worst. So, like, does one have, like, really fine crystalline structure? Or does the other one have, like, schmutz inside the steel? Who knows? Yeah. I'm going to bet you that the two for $8 ones are going to punch well above their weight. <laughs> you know what? And, 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 and that'll probably make people both mad and sad, but I would not be surprised. It's like it's like when Dave Jones tested the Harbor Freight multimeter. It's like a five dollar <laughs> one that sometimes you get it for free. He was so pissed off. He was really pissed off because of how good it was. <laughs> I remember he put he puts his like voltage standard and it was like ten volts or something like that. And that meter read ten point zero zero like just straight yeah. on. And and that's not necessarily the most difficult thing, but I know but he was expecting it to be off. Awful. <laughs> And it actually ended up being not bad. Yeah, it was. And really, the only thing bad with those meters are the leads, Uh, which which we've discussed multiple times. You could buy really good leads on Amazon for eight dollars, eight bucks. Yeah, yeah. And they have needle tips on them. They're awesome. And oh, that uh, that that silicon, the the leads Leads. themselves are made of that real flexible silicon. Oh, it's nice. I'm I'm excited about this, dude. This will be fun. So next week I'm going to have a design and probably order the parts to build the tester. Nice. And then I've have I'll have my calculations on like how much clamping force is going to have to handle and all a that lot. stuff. It's going to be a lot. It's it's something like two hundred thousand pounds or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's a reason why like your car if you, when you properly torque your your uh, lug nuts on your car, your wheels do not fly off. Even though how much energy, like calculate how much energy your tires have, like rotating at 80 miles an hour and how heavy, because they're like, what? 40 to 60 pounds is what a wheel weighs. Like how much rotational energy is in there? Why don't they just fly off? Because you have five lug nuts torqued to 100 foot pounds and they are, there's a lot of clamping force holding that thing onto your hub. Because it's not... Your, your studs and your lug nuts aren't actually holding your wheels on. It's the clamping force that holds it on. So it's not, uh, yeah, it's because like when you think, when you calculate it out, you're like, oh, I'm only torquing five lug nuts to, so total you're at 500 foot pounds of torque, right? But when you look at the clamping force and some like, like astronomical number of like safety factor. <laughs> Well, they they put it where it counts, right? Oh yeah, yeah. That's also why, like, I pucker a little bit when I get on the freeway and I see a guy with a donut going eighty five down. Oh god! <laughs> oh, god. <laughs> Did you put that on? <laughs> or I I always uh, donuts don't really scare me. It's when I see someone who's got like either a really out of balanced wheel or um, their suspension shot on that one corner, and so the wheel is like going up and down like six inches and you're like how do you not feel that yeah they probably do yeah. and just don't care they just don't like, care. yeah or you or you're behind that guy and you're like i can clearly see your real tires and your front tires oh, the your car is so out of alignment oh, the crab walking down the down the street <laughs> yeah 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 and still going 80 yeah yeah <laughs> okay <laughs> i think we have time for one more topic steven yeah, yeah, let's, uh, uh, you know, we've been talking for probably four or five weeks about, you know, we, we were going to mention Python, so let's just rip through that one real All quick. Right, let's do the Python one. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it'll be quick. Um, so, so it's it's kind of funny because it's it's now kind of ancient to me. I haven't actually even touched Python in a bunch of weeks because I accomplished the goals I was going for. Uh, and and Parker and I have discussed have discussed and 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 kind of joked about this a while ago. Uh, if if you want an engineer to do uh, a lot of work, give them a reoccurring task. Give them something that happens on a regular basis or specifically like on a scheduled basis. Um, we've always said an engineer will spend 20 hours of work to save one hour of work as long as that one hour of work happens regularly. Yeah. If it happens multiple times, you, engineers will do it. Yeah. Yeah. Like if something, if you have to do the same task over and over, automate it. Find a way to automate, automate. that task. Unless I, that task is somehow unique every time automate it a a good engineer is number one thorough number two lazy <laughs> yes <laughs> engineers hate to work uh except for when they're finding a solution to work <laughs> then they will work <laughs> extremely hard like like it's super super hard and and so okay i i had some some data gathering that i knew know i needed to get done and i could have done this data gathering manually but i we have a management meeting every week where we present our 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 numbers and um i'm i present the numbers for a, a variety of departments at work and i'm in charge of some people who they themselves need to present numbers and so I'm looking at how are we getting these numbers, and it's just the method through which we would need to receive these numbers is just absolutely garbage, and we would have to do it once a week. So yeah. we would literally be spending hours of work between multiple departments and, and heads of departments getting numbers that's like, guys, we can just create something that automatically does this and hands us the numbers. Uh, and yes, it might take half a week or even a full week worth of worth of, you know, work to in order to get this but then we never have to do it again so uh, a handful of weeks ago i i ended up uh kind of digging into python and and creating a script that that would do this all for me and here's the thing i'm not a coder like i've said this a bazillion times i i don't write let, let me put it this way i write code most of the time when it uh, when it affects bare metal. Like, that's my kind of code. I love C on microcontrollers. I'll do that all day you like, long. That's you like fun. knowing that that bit flips. 100%. I don't, like, the, the few levels of extraction. Like, give, give me one or two levels of abstraction. Not, like, 400 levels. But, uh, but I was like, okay, I know that this data is gatherable. I know this is something I can do. And I know Python can do it. So I was like, okay, I'll bite the bullet. I'll learn Python. And and the one thing that, that I think is like a real testament to Python itself is the fact that a guy like me that I get programming, but I'm not good at it. I can go dive into Python with the idea of this is what I know what my outcome should be. I know what my inputs are. I don't know how to connect those dots. And in a few days, I can connect those dots and not be banging my head on a table. Like that's that's where Python really excels in my opinion. Um, mm -hmm. so, so this script I have, um, it, it, it accesses an API that goes out to our database where we store all of our part numbers, all of our build IDs, all of our uh, production information. It goes out and it gathers all this data, it parses all of it, and then it creates an Excel sheet that is already pre-formatted and hands it to all of our 
departments such that we can open it, gather our numbers and just present it each week. So, so the whole goal was I wanted myself and my department managers to spend only a few minutes each week just reviewing the numbers before the meeting such that we can go and present it and say, here's how well our departments are doing kind of thing. And, uh, and with Python, there's, there's two, there's two plugins that uh, I want to kind of showcase that, that really made this available or possible. And the first one is requests, which they call it HTTP for humans. Uh, and it makes, it makes going out to a web address asking for something and getting information back, it makes it unbelievably simple. Like that it makes is, something... Go ahead. That module I use practically every script I write. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good because you just basically say get, you give it API keys, you give it web addresses, and it just craps out data to you, which th at that point, it's just a matter of manipulation um, mm -hmm. and, and just asking or Python to parse through what you need to. So yeah, request is, is fantastic. And then um, I found another module called um, OpenPyXL, um, OpenPYXL. And uh, that is a whole suite of commands for creating, adjusting, modifying Excel uh, spreadsheets. And in fact, what's funny is the, the amount of work I spent going and getting the data is probably... 5% of all the work that I did. The other 95% was just wrangling this to create the spreadsheet in a way that my department manager would, able to would be happy with. through the, the JSON data in the right way. And, and just things like, oh, you know, I want it in this cell and I want it centered and I want this one to be bold and I want it arranged. Oh, so you're actually way. formatting. Here's the thing. This, Wait this till is, you start okay. doing PDF documents. Oh, PDFs are fun. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, no. Okay, so here, here's the thing I've found with people is, uh, and this is not a dig towards people. I think this is actually a good thing. But if you if you present somebody who isn't um, regularly using just like strings of data, if you present them that, their eyes roll back in the into the back of their head, and it means nothing to them. They like can't you can't just matrix. give a list of numbers to somebody and they do it. You could probably do that with an electrical engineer or, or many other engineers, and they'd be like, okay, fine. They'd be pissed off, and, but they know what to do with it. But like to somebody else who is not that kind of tech savvy, they're just going to just forget about it. So mm -hmm. I know I had to present this data weekly to my department managers in a way that they would be happy to use it and they would run with it. So I went through the trouble of like creating a beautiful Excel spreadsheet um, or just doing that automatically, like go out to the API, get the data, parse it, make it pretty, hand it to people. That's the whole path. So you know what the next space. step is? What's that? Figure out what they are doing on their end to make it presentable and just automate that part. You know, the, it, it goes even we we've learned how to boil our departments down into a single number. Uh, and here's the, the oh, funny thing. APIs sort of, sort of. Uh, okay. I'm, I'm not a fan of management meetings. They 99% of the time, they're a waste of time. Yes. Uh, so uh, basically what I did at work and, and I'm saying this in a very positive light. I learned how to become the person who runs the meeting. And then I changed the meeting uh, and the way we do it such that they're as short as possible. <laughs> so basically what I did was I was like, okay, we're getting rid of all the fluff. Each department says, they, they show up and they say, I've either reached my numbers or I've achieved my numbers or I don't. And then they give a reason why they 
didn't if they need to, mm-hmm. and then we move on to the next person. So I've taken a meeting that was traditionally like an hour long, and I've turned it into like 15, 20 minutes because I've 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 this created is the, way. the rules for what what makes the meeting start and stop. Yep. <laughs> engineers are good at this, right? See, because <laughs> I don't want to be there. Should <laughs> engineers should dictate all meetings? <laughs> and I, I laugh about it because, like, in my mind, I've actually made it more efficient uh, and 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 just a better meeting because we're not just like talking about gut feel about what what's happening in the meeting. Like we have rock solid things that we talk about and um and the meeting will go long if we need to have it go long but most of the time we now have goals that we say as long as we reach these goals the meeting doesn't need to go longer and uh so yeah i think that kind of wraps up to what we were saying earlier it's like engineers are lazy and they will spend a lot of work to make sure that they don't work uh in in a way (laughs) and and so uh, you know, hands up. I'm totally one of those guys. Uh, but, but you know, uh, now having dug into Python in this way, I already have a ton of ideas in terms of what we um, what we can do next. Because we have another system where we track failures and RMAs and things like that. And I know they have the ability for API calls and being able to ingest data and modify things. And so, you know, in in an effort to even further uh, make our meetings efficient, I want to be able to report quality data automatically without me having to go and scrub a bunch of stuff on an online spreadsheet and -hmm. just say like, okay, show me what failures were done this week. Show me, um, you know, how we repaired them and where we're at and our total numbers and things like that. Just, just give me the numbers automatically. Uh, the, the only thing that sucks about this Python script, and I actually had to build a cooldown timer into my script, my API that I go out, if, if, you, if you have more than 30 calls to the API in a minute, it will shut you down for five minutes. So you have to wait five minutes to spit out another 30 calls. And, and what's annoying is, depending on what you're asking for from the API, a call could mean a massive slew of data or it could mean a single item of, of data. So I had to create this, this cooldown timer where it would keep track of how many calls it went out. And if it reached a certain number, it would just pause for a minute such that it could. So it, it, basically like how you have a certain calls per minute that it's trying to keep track of. Correct. Yeah. So, so uh, yeah. It, it, no, that's it, how, it, Yeah, that's normal way of doing it. But, yeah. but, but here's here's an example of where it's it's goofy. I could I could send them an API call that says, "Show me all of our active builds right now," and that could be pages and one. pages and pages of data, or right? One. Well, or or one, but we we have many builds going on at once. But if I were to say like, "Hey, what capacitor is in this location on this board?" That also counts as an API call. call. So I can either get like this massive data set or an individual item. Both of them count as the same thing. And so sometimes I have to ask for individual items and sometimes I have to ask for the whole list. So I just have to keep track of that. So what sucks is to get my data every week, it's about 30 minutes of just the, of it just the hammering the database. Yeah, you're right. Right. Well, it's 30 minutes because like I do 30 calls and then I have to wait a minute and 30 calls and wait a minute. Uh, so I set it up on a window scheduler 
that so it happens at like five o'clock in the morning on Thursday, such that everyone shows up to work and there there's this beautiful use, data set that happens. Do you own that database or is it in the cloud? It's in the cloud. Oh, that's why. Yep. I, that's call them up and be like, hey guys, I need this rate limit increased. I don't you know, I don't care uh, about like if it if it runs overnight, it doesn't it doesn't matter to yeah. me. But but that is annoying where it's like thirty calls, you can blow through thirty calls in no time flat. Yeah, yeah. In fact, developing this code was annoying because I had to keep track in my mind. It's like, oh, you know, I have to rerun my script. How many times have I done it? Because like yeah. I'm not keeping track of like a variable between runs. Between calls or between yeah. runs. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Which would be kinda so hard. There to was do. a handful of times where I tripped it and it was like, Oh, well, time to go get some coffee and wait five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> So that was that was fun, um, and and I've I've actually had managers in the past um, utilize what we've talked about, where it's like, oh, we're gonna we need a bunch of work from an engineer. We'll just make them do the same thing over and over, uh, or we'll just schedule work for them on a regular basis, and then they get pissed off and they solve the whole problem. <laughs> yeah. Now, um, for a suggestion for people out there that want to get into this kind of like Python automation stuff. There's a really good book called Automate the Boring Stuff. Mm. It's like a Python introductory thing for beginners. It's automatetheboringstuff.com. Um, it's a really good book. Um, I think there's an ebook too that you can get. Um, Ali suggested. And then, um, then I, I have one thing I want to talk about here is commenting code. Oh, yeah. Um, what is useful comments for maintaining the code later down the road? Um, yeah. Putting in a comment that is this, this line does two plus two and it equals four is not good commenting. Um, I would say anything that has to refer to external documentation, like, like let's say you just paste it in like this crazy formula, maybe, have where you found that like the url in your comments or whatever or what that function does so i like to do is actually function level commenting so like if i write a function i go this function does paragraph of stuff right 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 and then i go example give it this and i'm like this is the input and then this is the output so that way you can you can technically kind of like a mini test for it so you can be like there's a bug does it actually go through its test example correctly yeah. that kind of stuff um because commenting line by because I, I had one professor in college that wanted us to comment every line and i'm like that is such a waste of time <laughs> well okay if you, okay, you don't need you don't need a if comment built in to see that it does addition yeah, right. right, right. That's that's okay. So that's my point. If it is a built-in function to the standard language, that probably doesn't like what you were saying. Like x is equal to two plus two. Like you don't need to comment that unless there's something unique about it. But uh, like when I was using that um, OpenPy Excel, like I, a lot of times I would write for loops that would go through and format groups of cells i'll write a thing above that saying this will take cells a through whatever blah 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 and make them all bold and and so like the the chunk of code underneath that it just gives a quick snippet of what's happening there that i think that's plenty enough but you don't that's, have to go line by line that's 
plenty and actually yeah. useful commenting in right. code. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This next section centers all the text, <laughs> you know, like yep. that. It's exactly, yeah. Um, and you could go as much as like using really good um, variable names. Um, it's, in my opinion, better for variable names to be longer to explain what they are than to be shorter. Um, that's just my opinion, though. Um, I have some variable names that are like three or four words sometimes. That's like, that's what you need to properly explain it. So when you open that thing up in three years, because it's broken now, and you're like, what does this variable do again? Yeah. Actually, you know, it's funny. Um, so I'm probably stepping way outside my boundaries here. But if a variable gets sent to a function or returns from a function, I usually have a fairly long name for that or I have a very explicit name for it. But if it's used inside the function like an increment in a, in a loop or something like that, it's usually pretty small. Yeah, that's kind of normal. Like yeah. if it's a loop variable, you might name it CNT for count. Right. Stuff right, like right, that. That's right. totally normal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's but some... I probably wouldn't send CNT to a variable or a function. No. I mean. um, there's a lot of different uh, there's schools of thoughts for behind schools that. of thoughts on that that yeah. are way beyond us in this podcast. Exactly. Um, yeah. Like camel case or like are like are globals always capitalized or is it the first or do you have camel case or under, some people don't like underscores in them. I'm I, I use underscores all the time, so that's just. I, yeah, no underscores all the time for sure. Yeah, underscores between two different words. Yeah, that's gonna wrap up this podcast. Yeah, I think that's it. Yeah. So that was the MacFab Engineering Podcast, and we were your hosts, Parker Dolman and Stephen Craig. Later, everyone. Thank you, yes you, our listener, for downloading our podcast. If you have a cool idea, project, or topic, or you have a ratcheting wrench that I should test, let Steven and I know. Tweet us at MacFab at Longhorn Engineer or at Analog ENG, or email us at podcast at MacFab.com. Also check out our Slack channel. You can find it at MacFab.com slash Slack. And I still don't have a URL shortener slash shortcut for the Twitch stream thing that happens at six o'clock on Tuesdays. That's six o'clock central time in the United States. Uh, so you have to go to twitch.tv slash macfab or follow Steven and I on Twitter because we tweet it when we send it out. And we also post the link up in our Slack channel. Um, I think that's it, everyone. Have a good weekend. <laughs>